माय सेवन चक्रस गुरुकुल सेशन टू चक्रस Breathwork, energy healing, qigong, reiki, lucid dreaming, feng shui, intuition, nutrition, and so much more. You've taken the first step to begin your human revolution. It is now your turn to enroll in Gurukul. What's up action tribe AJ here and welcome to another master class of Gurukul. So firstly in case you're listening to Gurukul for the very first time you might be wondering what is Gurukul. So Gurukul is a new addition to my seven chakras. As you guys know we do three interview episodes per week. That's Monday, Wednesday and Friday and during these sessions we build your awareness about numerous powerful and ancient modalities that can help you transform Gurukul is your opportunity to take your learning to the next level by diving deeper into a particular topic. Gurukul isn't an interview based session. It's an entire class which airs on a Sunday. Our teacher for today is Dr. John Duyard who is appearing on our show for the second time around. A little bit about Dr. John Duyard. Dr. Duyard is a youthful 60-year-old globally recognized leader in the fields of natural health, Ayurveda and sports medicine. He's the creator of lifespa.com. the leading ayurvedic health and wellness resource on the web with over 4.5 million views on youtube lifespa.com is evolving the way ayurveda is understood around the world with over 700 articles and videos proving ancient wisdom with modern science dr john is the former director of player development for the new jersey nets nba team author of seven health books a repeat guest on the Dr Oz show and featured in Women's World magazine, Huffington Post, Yoga Journal and dozens of other publications. He has seen over 100,000 patients and directs LifeSpa, the 2013 Holistic Wellness Center of the Year in Boulder, Colorado. His first interview on My 7 Chakras was 10505 during which he spoke about Ayurveda. the lymphatic system and the importance of the ayurvedic cleanse so in case you haven't heard that episode i strongly urge you to do so and he is here for a second time to talk about his new book eat wheat where he uses both ancient principles and modern science to dive into the root cause of the digestive challenges that some of us face with wheat and help us understand the entire picture so that we are solving the right problem we make the right decision take corrective action and embark on a health 
revolution. Some of the things that he talks about during this session. Number one, reasons for the inability to digest foods like wheat and dairy. We learn fascinating facts about the history of wheat consumption by humans. We learn about the type of foods that we are genetically suited to eat by comparing food products such as meat, wheat and dairy. We learn about one potential mistake that was made 60 years back to US diets. And why just taking out wheat out of our diet might not be a permanent solution to the challenge of gluten intolerance. And while explaining all of this, Dr. John Duya takes us back in time, millions of years back to a time right after the Ice Age to the African wild wheat grasslands filled with wheat and barley grasses where our migrating ancestors were plucking and gathering wheat berries to thrive and survive. It's amazing. Some housekeeping before we start our show. Keep a pen and notebook handy by your side just in case you want to take some notes down. Don't worry in case you don't understand a term or concept. You can come back to it later and learn more. And be prepared now for an adventure that is sure to change your life. Let's go. Hi, my name is Dr. John Diard. I want to talk to you today about my new book called Eat Wheat. Yeah. Eat Wheat, the scientific and clinically approved approach to safely reintroducing wheat and dairy back into your diet. Now, we have a billion dollar gluten-free industry now. We, 60 years ago, we created a, a billion dollar, no cholesterol, processed fat, fat-free industry. When in 1961, when they took cholesterol out of our diet, they replace it with processed fat and cholesterol-free this and cholesterol-free that. And as a result of that, the entire diet of Americans and around the world changed. This year, in January, in 2016, the FDA took, they actually took cholesterol off the nutrient concern list. A little minor faux pas. We made a huge mistake in 1961, changed the diet of America and now, 60 years later, we realize that we made a mistake. That mistake has caused us to be fed on nothing but processed fats for the last 60 years, which congests our liver, makes it impossible for our liver to break down hard-to-digest fats and regulate our blood sugar. Yes, blood sugar is regulated by the liver, not the pancreas, initially. And that has created an epidemic of prediabetes. More than a third of the American population are prediabetic. More than 90% of them don't even know it. That's over 100 million people pre-diabetic as we speak. It's the epidemic of our time created by this mistake 60 years ago. Have we convicted gluten and dairy, for that matter, without a fair trial? Are we doing exactly the same thing we did 60 years ago again? And what are the ramifications of us taking wheat and dairy out of our diet? You know, they say, well, we, we've only been eating it for 10,000 years. We don't have the genetics to actually eat and digest wheat. Well, let's take dairy, for example. It's fairly, uh, fairly agreed upon that dairy has been eaten in Northern Europe for at least 10,000 years. Well, Northern Europeans have a genetic modification called lactase persistence, which means that after they nurse and they have enzymes from nursing when their babies to digest milk, they persist with this lactase enzyme into adulthood, and they can actually digest wheat without being lactose intolerant into adulthood. It's called lactase persistence. One of the 
very few signs that we genetically morph over time. And it takes, they say it takes five to 10,000 years to do that. We did that with dairy. Well, why couldn't we have done that with wheat? Well, experts say, well, it's not enough time. Well, the reality is, is that we've been eating wheat for a whopping 3.4 to 4 million years. They found gluten, wheat and barley gluten in the teeth of ancient humans that are three to four million years old. So now all of a sudden, the rules completely change. We haven't been eating wheat only for 10,000 years. We've been eating it for three to four million years. We have been, we've been agriculturally harvesting it ourselves for 30,000 years, not 10,000 years. So let's get the facts straight before we say we don't have the genetics to do it. We, if we don't have the genetics to do it, let me give you another example. Meat. We have started eating meat only about 22.5 million years ago. And that meat eating was like a hyena. We would scavenge already dead meat. That's how we did it. 500,000 years ago, we figured out how to start hunting our own meat. And yes, that created dramatic changes in their food and cooking came after that and amazing things happened. We're talking 500,000 years ago, we started eating meat on a regular basis, hunting our own meat. And three to four million years ago, we were eating wheat. So clearly, we have the, we have way more genetics for actually eating wheat than we do meat. So for anyone to tell you, we don't have the genetics to do wheat, how many millions of years do we need to figure out how to digest this grain? Let's think about this for a second. Think about the logic. Africa, after the Ice Age, when the rainforests were began to shrunk and Africa turned into a continent of grasslands filled with wheat and barley, by the way, and the, our ancestors started migrating into these fields where they had to dig roots and hunt. Well, they didn't hunt yet. They just gathered because they weren't great hunters. They didn't have to figure it out. You know, it wasn't easy to, you know, run after a lion and kill it in the grasslands. That's where that was their domain. We were sort of the monkey, you know, breed where we would do things in trees and eat leaves and bananas. But that rainforest shrunk. We were forced out. And then we had grasslands, wheat berries. And these grasses were four feet tall. You're walking into these grasslands and the wheat was smacking you in the face. There's little berries on these, on these grains called wheat berries. And you can pick them and you can eat it and you can chew it. And it actually is, even just one wheat berry is actually quite nutritious. And if you eat it, it's kind of sweet and you're going to probably like it and probably eat another one. A ancient human could eat, gather enough wheat berries in a field of wheat in two hours that would last them for the entire day. They could take that wheat berry and collect it, mash it into a gruel, and that's exactly what happened. Studies show that ancient humans ate anywhere between 30 to over 50% of their diet as grain. So this idea we don't have grains is not true. The paleo diet, we talked to Harvard anthropologists who tell you there's nothing paleo about the paleo diet, that they actually did eat grains. And depending on where they were located geographically, if they were in you know, Alaska, they definitely didn't eat any grain there because there wasn't any. They had you know, you know, meat and fish and blubber and things like that. But in the grasslands where the grass was growing abundantly, 
They absolutely did. And they did hunt, now we're talking hunter and gatherers, fast forward to the last 200,000 years, not three to four million years where we actually had the ability to, to we were eating wheat, and, dairy, wheat and, and barley way, way back then. So we're talking that we did have the ability to, to digest uh, wheat for a, a very, very, very long time. So when you think about um, you know, taking wheat out of the diet, are we taking something that we are genetically adapted to possibly even need? When we took cholesterol out of our diet in 1961, turned out that was really important for us. And we evolved to digest that. And we gave ourselves processed versions of that fat, which congested our ability to digest, hard to digest, digest food, which we look at as an epidemic of our time. So is wheat possibly something that is really important? When I did the research in my book, we have over 600 scientific references proving that wheat is not a poison, but a very somewhat hard to digest protein. So yeah, it's a hard to digest protein, but it's something that has been around for so long, maybe we really do need it, okay? Um, you know, wheat is something that, that is a, a, a grain that in chapter two in my book, and, and as part of this seminar, we're going to give you a free gift where you can actually read chapter one and two for free as part of a preview for this. So at the end, I'll give you the, the, uh, the URL for that so you can read the science. But in chapter two, I list all the science that says wheat is bad. And of course, you know, in our culture these days, you can cherry pick anything you want. You can find that coffee is good and you can find that coffee is bad. You can find that chocolate is good and chocolate is bad and soy is good and soy is bad and milk is good and milk is bad and wheat is good and wheat is bad. You can find anything you want, really, if you look at the science. So science alone, in my mind, is sketchy. It's, it's very important. And what I do on my website at lifespot.com is I write about ancient principles and modern science. And I put them together. So I proved these ancient principles with science. And I feel like if I just had science alone, I don't know if this was a cherry-picked study that was done to prove what they wanted to prove. But if I have something that's been done for thousands of years, and it's still being done today, and I have now science to prove it, and I put the two together, I like that. I feel more confident. Because something that's been time-tested for thousands of years, people don't just do stuff that doesn't work for thousands upon thousands of years. And so that's what I try to do is I go big back into ancient principles like Ayurvedic medicine and look at their, what, what they did and then, and then prove it the best I can with science. We write about that three times a week out of my newsletters, which is free. There were 700, uh, 700 uh, uh, articles and videos online for free, self-help at lifespot.com. My YouTube channel has over four and a half million views. All these videos are available for free to learn how to reboot your digestive system. In Eat Wheat, in chapter two, there is, there is a list of all the science. Science says that wheat increases your blood sugar. Well, then I list the science that says wheat actually lowers your blood sugar. There's science that says that, that wheat increases weight gain. Well, also I list the science that says that wheat actually helps people reduce their weight. There's science that says it causes heart disease. There's science that says it doesn't cause heart disease. There's science that says it causes Alzheimer's disease. Well, there actually isn't. There's science that says that the sugar the high glycemic processed wheat that we eat today in the grocery that's a squishy bread that isn't really very digestible, that wheat has a high glycemic index, has a lot of sugar in it, 
and that will cause and link, be linked to Alzheimer's. The studies show that sugar is linked to Alzheimer's disease, not wheat. So a lot of experts have sort of cherry-picked the science, say, you know, wheat is bad. And therefore, uh, because it increases, because it, most of the wheat we eat has a higher glycemic index, and therefore wheat is uh, the cause of Alzheimer's disease. Sugar is the cause of Alzheimer's disease. Same thing they did with cholesterol. They found some, I don't want to get into the details, but they found some not so wonderful studies that said cholesterol, you know, caused heart disease. And then what they did was anything that raised cholesterol automatically caused heart disease for the last 30 years in terms of the science. So all a research had to do is prove that something raised cholesterol, it was bad for you because we know that that, of course, cholesterol is just totally bad for us. That is the world we lived in for 30 years, 40 years. It's just unbelievable. We can't do that with something we've been eating for 4 million years. Okay, We have to think about this a little bit more logically. And I get it. Some of you eat wheat and you feel terrible. Some of you eat dairy, you feel terrible. Some of you get off of wheat and dairy, you feel better. And I get it. I'm not saying you have to eat it. I'm saying that there's an underlying reason why you're not able to digest it. And let's fix that. And then you can choose whether you want to eat it or not. It's not like required. You're not going to die if you don't eat wheat or dairy. But it is a hard-to-digest protein that gives us an indication of your digestive strength. And your digestive strength is directly linked to your ability to detoxify. Your detoxify-defying strength and your digestive strength are the same pathways in your body. So if you can't digest well and you once were able, then now you take hard-to-digest food out of your diet. And what about your ability to detoxify well? Some of you say, well, that doesn't mean anything detoxify. Well, yeah, it does. We have in America, on average, the average uh, amount of toxins dumped into the American environment annually is 400 billion pounds of toxic chemicals each year. Coal mines dump mercury into the atmosphere, which filters down through these clouds onto every organic vegetable. It's a hard-to-digest fat-soluble molecule that requires very, very good digestion. And if we break it down, we can digest and process certain amounts of mercury. We have the ability to do that. But if you don't digest well and you can't eat wheat and dairy, there's no way you're digesting the mercury on the organic vegetables, which doesn't wash off, by the way. And then if you take that into your system, it goes into your digestive system, into your lymphatic system, and even into your brain. Now, we know that these, these fat-soluble molecules, toxic chemicals, environmental pollutants, pesticides, preservatives are fat-soluble, very difficult to digest and break down. We also know if you don't break down wheat and dairy, hard-to-digest proteins, they're, they, they're rendered, the molecules are rendered too big to enter into the bloodstream when they go into your small intestine. And they end up going into a system called your lymphatic system, which are uh, lined with little collecting ducts. And these collecting ducts, along your intestinal tract, are designed to deliver fats for energy in between meals. So if you get tired in between meals, chances are you're not delivering the energy through your lymphatic system into your, into your uh, cells, and, and therefore you're feeling tired and lethargic. The lymphatic system delivers energy. The lymphatic system, which lines your entire intestinal tract, also pulls toxins off your intestinal tract. It also delivers proteins and good fats for energy. It is also the house of your immune system. 
80% of your immunity lines your intestinal tract in the, into, in the mesenteric lymph of the small intestine and the gut-associated lymph of the large intestine. It's sort of an interesting system that is only just beginning to be understood. And I, like I said, I write about ancient wisdom in modern science. Ancient wisdom says the lymphatic system is critically important. So drains in your body, we should fix those first. Western medicine didn't have a way to measure the lymph, so we fixed the blood, which is the faucets taking the water into the sink. And we're not, and, and the lymph is the drains taking the water out of the sink. If the drains are clogged in your house, bad things happen. But if the faucets are clogged, well, they don't really go wrong that well. Usually the water comes in pretty well. The issues are generally not in the ability to get the good stuff in. It's in, it's in the inability to get the bad stuff out. So when the lymphatic system gets congested, your immune system gets stuck in traffic. When your immune system gets stuck in traffic, the, 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 uh, the emergency vehicles can't get to the accident when it needs to get there. So it creates hypersensitive localized reactions. So inside your intestinal tract, you have these collecting ducts. And if the fat-soluble toxins, environmental pollutants, and pesticides, preservatives, wheat, and dairy are not broken down completely in the stomach and upper small intestine, they will go into the small intestine lower and congest those collecting ducts and even alter the microbiology, in fact, which we need to digest some of these foods like wheat and dairy, in fact. And we have microbes that digest wheat and dairy, by the way. But if the intestinal skin has been ripped to shreds by undigested food because our upper digestion broke down, well, yeah, we're not going to digest those foods very, very well. So what happens is that the immune system lines that intestinal tract. It's true that the, the lectins and the phytic acids in dairy, which are anti-nutrients that line not just, not dairy, grains, wheat, not just grains and wheat, but nuts and seeds and rice and beans also have lectins and anti-nutrients that, are, that have been found guilty as, as toxic substances that we can't digest. Well, let's hold on for a second. There, uh, grain, every grain, nut, seed, bean, rice, they all have them. Because when the grain falls off the ground, usually uh, sometime in the fall, late, late fall, early winter, it lies dormant until the spring where it actually sprouts. So that's sort of how grains and beans work. So they need these anti-nutrients to protect them from decay. So, so uh, eating them requires thus a very strong digestive system. And there's a lot of controversial science about these anti-nutrients. Some say they're really bad for you, and some say they prevent cancer and deliver minerals and do amazing things for the body. So it isn't cut and dry that these anti-nutrients are something really bad. And there are worse strategies in ancient times to make the grains um, uh, much easier to digest for folks who didn't have great digestion, like sourdough bread. Sourdough bread has been shown, if you, use, if, you, if you bake bread in the old-fashioned way, sourdough bread has been shown to render a, a loaf of bread completely gluten-free. So when you eat a loaf of bread, you're actually uh, a sourdough bread, you're actually not really getting any gluten according to a handful of studies. Uh, ancient humans would soak their grains, ferment their grains, sprout their grains. All these techniques were ways to actually make the grain um, much uh, more digestible. 
Uh, not only does it break down the anti-nutrients, but also makes the gluten, you know, actually pre-digest the gluten, which is a powerful, powerful thing. Other problems with wheat that we can hear and we complain about are that there are endorphins, exorphins, they're called in wheat, opioids that are in wheat, that when you eat wheat, you get this opioid hit that makes you addicted to it. And you got to eat more and more and more and more of it. Well, I would venture to say that this whole wheat belly phenomena is really more of a sugar belly phenomena. And it's the sugar that we get addicted to, which is clearly and truly a poison because we have zero genetics for eating the kind of sugar that we eat today. We have 4 million years of eating wheat genetics. So that's really important. But to be, you know, so, so wheat itself has a bad processed wheat definitely does have a higher glycemic index. And we have to be careful of that. But the opioids in wheat are uh, what experts say causes us to be addicted to eat overeat. We eat it three times a day forever and ever. Well, the reality is that there are a lot of things, foods that have opioids in it. Spinach has opioids in it. Um, meat has opioids in it. Mother's milk has opioids in it. So I'm thinking like, boy, logically, if mother's milk has opioids in it, I probably would think that that's there to make sure that we eat it. And maybe nature put opioids in certain foods to make sure that we actually ate them. I mean, there is an intelligence of nature that we seem to be just trying to overrule by trying to find little pieces of, the, of wheat that become toxic when when some of these toxins are actually possibly beneficial in certain ways because we've adapted to make them beneficial. Anthropologists will tell you that, that we ate a lot of poisonous foods and we've learned how to adapt to them. And some of them are actually still in, in, a, in a poor digestive system and in a broken down digestive system. They're problematic. Um, but some of those aspects of those are actually very beneficial. But if you can reboot digestion, maybe we get the best of both worlds. So, for example, they cite a lot of studies to say if you give uh, someone eating wheat, a, a, an opioid blocker, they reduce their, in, their intake of wheat in a significant fashion. Well, they did a study with meat, which has certain opioid co constituents as well. And the people who had opioid blockers who were eating meat reduced their meat consumption by 30 to 50%. So are we supposed to stop eating wheat and meat um, and rice and beans and nuts and seeds, because they all have these opioids. I mean, when do we stop the craziness? And when do we start looking at the real cause of the problem? I get it. People don't feel good when they eat wheat. But there's a problem by just saying, just stop, take it. It puts us in harm's way down the road, right? So when we think about um, eating wheat that's in a, in a weak digestive system that allows those undigested proteins to go into your intestinal tract and con congest your lymphatic ducts, the lymphatic system gets congested. And here's what happens. The lymphatic system houses 80% of your immune system on the outside of your intestinal tract. So I have on the everywhere you have skin, you have lymph. So on my skin right here, I have, lymph, I have uh, on the underneath side, I have lymphatic vessels with my immune system. I get bit by a mosquito, my immune system takes care of business. On the outside of my intestinal wall, I have uh, an immune layer, a powerful one, the most powerful one that takes care of anything moving through my intestinal tract. If a lot of stuff goes through my intestinal tract, my stomach, undigested, 
like wheat, it'll irritate, inflame your intestinal tract, break down the protective barrier of your intestinal skin, and bad things like gluten will enter into not your blood, but your lymph, congest your lymph, break down your lymph, not deliver the energy, make you feel tired, and congest all aspects of the lymphatic system and therefore congest your immune system along the way. A year ago or so, they found lymphatics that drained the brain and the central nervous system. They had no idea the brain had any lymphatic drainage vessels at all. Matter of fact, they were quite convinced there was no lymph in the brain in the central nervous system. Well, Ayurvedic medicine said there was lymphatic vessels in the central nervous system in the brain thousands of years ago. And they said they were like a big mohawk haircut like this. And when they found them in the University of Virginia over a year ago, Virginia over a year ago, they found them exactly right here. They have a picture of that in my book. And they found that these lymphatic vessels, if they don't drain, bad things happen. In fact, your brain drains three pounds, three pounds, the weight of your entire brain of toxic plaque and other chemicals and things out of your brain every single year. If your lymphatic system is congested, those toxins don't drain. And they're directly linked to Alzheimer's, cognitive issues, inflammation, infection, uh, and most importantly, autoimmune-related issues, which are the epidemic of our time in a way. These are the things that no one knows how to treat. Autoimmunity, when your immune system turns on the good cells and it really wreaks havoc. And so, so when we start thinking about the brain-grain phenomena, we're really looking at a brain-drain phenomena. The lymph system around the gut because of poor digestion broke down and the brain can't drain. So why don't we just fix that as opposed to taking wheat out of the diet? The wheat belly is not a wheat belly, it's a sugar belly. And we take the science of sugar, and because wheat, oftentimes, because it's processed, has a high glycemic index, we blame the wheat, but it's really the sugar. Now, I'm not saying that wheat is wonderful, because we know that it's a heart of Deus protein. A lot of folks say, well, you know, wheat um, has way more gluten in it than it did years and years ago. Ancient wheat was way better. Well, the reality is science shows very contradictory in this area. There's good science that suggests that ancient wheat, like Kamut, had twice as much gluten, alpha-galadins, the really bad ones, than the modern wheat did. So the ancient wheat had way more gluten, according to certain studies. And the ancient wheat, when they ate that with more gluten, twice as much gluten, had twice as less inflammation. So now we have a situation where we have a grain with twice as much gluten that caused twice as less inflammation. So you sort of scratch your head and go, what's really going on here? I don't know if we really know. We also know that from the year 1900 to the year 2008, the average American ate 86 pounds more gluten in the year 1900 than they did in 2008. So we're not eating more gluten. We're eating significantly less gluten the last 100 years. So what happened? I get it. We've processed the heck out of it. We added sugar to it. We added because of the whole cholesterol thing 60 years ago, we took the good fats out of our diet and put it with processed fats that are deodorized and bleached and boiled. You go down the aisle of the, of the cooking oil section and there are all these oils in clear bottles, okay? Well, any oil you take from a plant, you put one photon of light will create the whole thing to go rancid. So there's no way you can take a real oil from nature and put it in a grocery store shelf in clear plastic bottles without it going rancid. So what they did was they just took everything out that could go rancid out of it and left you with nothing but this oil, which is relatively undigestible. And we put that in our bread as a preservative. And it keeps the bread super squishy for like a really long time. So for like three weeks, your bread will stay squishy. 
But if you make real bread, like artisan bread, like the old-fashioned bread, like when you were a kid, you go to the grocery, you go to the bakery, and you buy a loaf of bread. And then within a day, it's hard. But the next day, by two days, you can knock somebody out with it. It's hard as a rock. When bread sits on your counter for three weeks or so, and it's still squishy, and doesn't even go bad oftentimes, there's microbes that make up 90% of the cells in your body that eat good fats, by the way. But the oils you put in that bread to make it squishy, they don't eat it because that bread doesn't go bad, generally speaking. It doesn't get hard, for sure. It just stays squishy. So we eat that kind of bread for 60 years, and it congests our liver, which is what it does. It congests the ability for our bile to flow. Now, stay with me here for a second. I'm going to tell you what happens. The bile regulates how well you burn fat, emulsifies your fats, right? If you eat a bunch of fat and you feel sick, it's your bile flow, gallbladder gets congested, and they say take the gallbladder out. We can do better if we start early, right? The bile also buffers the acid in your stomach. So you have stomach acid, which is designed to break down the gluten and the dairy, the casein and the gluten, the hard-to-digest proteins, right? So, But if the liver is congested because of all these bad fats that we've eaten for 60 years, and the bile has become thick and viscous, which there's good science to suggest that it does do that, and it's not flowing adequately, and if somebody eats a bunch of wheat and says, okay, I need X amount of bile to buffer all this acid, and the bile goes, I don't really have it. We're pretty congested down here. Can you come back tomorrow? And the stomach says, oh my gosh, I got all this wheat and dairy right here. I'll just hold on to it. And the acid stays in your stomach too long. And it causes heartburn and indigestion and irritation and, and what's called gastroparesis where the food doesn't leave quick enough. And all kinds of problems happen as a result of that. And then your stomach says, you know what? I can't hold on to this acid forever. I'm going to burn a hole through my stomach. So what the stomach does, it says, I'm just going to stop making the acid. And the stomach dials down the production of its digestive fire, the acids and pepsin in the stomach. So now all of a sudden, your ability to digest, hard to digest food like wheat and dairy went south on you. And now your ability to digest those foods, you just don't have it. So what do we do? We don't eat them. We stop eating wheat and dairy, and now we blame them that they're this poisonous, toxic food. Has anybody said, what if we reboot digestive strength? What if we increase bioflow, clean out the bile ducts, recongest, get rid of this whole thing moving for you, and you're back in business? And that's what Eat Wheat's all about. Eat Wheat is about how to first understand all these pieces of the puzzle we're talking about, and then... This part two of the book goes into step-by-step detail how to reboot your entire digestive system. But let me give you some tips to get started. One of the best ways to get your bile to move is with uh, a couple of foods that are wonderful, beets and apples. Apples have malic acid. They have a lot of fiber. They increase bile flow. Very powerful. Beets are, uh, have a lot of natural good nitrates that swell and open up the bile ducts and increase bile flow. Celery, a bile mover. These are called cologogs, foods that increase bile flow. Uh, you can want to eat more of those. So a beet a day, an apple a day to get your gut bile moving to start bile to start kicking in again. Then you want to turn on the upper digestion. You know, every restaurant has a salt and pepper shaker. You order a glass of water with no ice. You put a little salt and pepper in there. Or maybe you take a half a glass, mix a little salt and pepper in there and drink it down. 15 minutes later, your, your food comes. The salt and the pepper turn on your digestive fire. The digestive fire uh, in your stomach tells your liver, hey, we got a fire cooking up here. We're going to eat some food here in a minute. You better get some bile ready. And the liver starts making the bile. Everything sort of works together. It makes sense. You know, that makes sense. Also, taking uh, ginger with your food or a little ginger water or drinking ginger tea with your meal. 
simple ways, simple strategies to gently begin to turn on your digestive fire. If the look at a loaf of bread, the ingredients should be wheat, salt, water, and a starter, like a fermented starter, preferably. Nothing else. If any bread that has anything else in there, I wouldn't eat it. Um, but Whole Foods, natural food restaurants, uh, you know, many grocery stores now, uh, artisan bakeries are popping up all over the country. They make good bread. Um, and you can absolutely find it today. And that's the bread that I would suggest that you eat. If it has anything more than that, I wouldn't do it. Look at the crackers and the, and the processed foods. If it has cooked oil in it and it's been put in the oven and baked at some point, don't eat it. A, you know, a, a bar, like a snack bar, a protein bar, it's got cooked oil and it's been baked, don't eat it. Most of these oils are toxic and rancid and undigestible and they congest your liver and they're directly linked to blood sugar-related issues. Like I said, your liver regulates blood sugar. And that's absolutely the epidemic of our time. Metformin, the number one selling drug for, pre for type 2 diabetes, early diabetes, adult onset diabetes, works 100% exclusively through your liver. It has nothing to do with your pancreas. So make no mistake about it. Your liver is involved in the blood sugar. We just think pancreas, but that's for, that's for diabetes full blown. But that's when the pancreas just gives up. But years before that happens, there's liver congestion that's coming from our diet and the bad foods that we eat. So no processed food, no packaged foods, and try to get rid of all the sugar, added sugars into your diet. Get good quality wheat products um, as well. And then make sure you start amping up your digestion and, you know, get a copy. And, and as I said, it was a free gift I'm going to offer you um, uh, where you can read the first two chapters of Eat Wheat. Um, and you can also order eWeat. The, the ebook is actually available now. You can get it as an ebook, and uh, the actual hard copy comes out in January. Uh, so the, the website for you to go to um, for getting the, the free uh, gift, which is the two chapters of eWeat, is www.garukal.com slash for yes. Let me spell that out for you. www.goorru kul.com forward slash four yes y e s so that's that's www.g0 sorry g o o r u k u l dot com slash four yes and there you will see a link to get our free gift which is the first two chapters of eat wheat I hope you enjoyed this lecture I hope it makes sense to you that we are we are chasing Again, the symptom in maybe a dangerous way like we did with cholesterol. And I, I, I'm encouraging you to look at this. And, and once your digestion gets rebooted, you can choose how much wheat and dairy you want to eat. Um, but until that happens, let's make sure that we're actually treating the right thing. And it might not be the wheat and the dairy. It might be a digestive system that's broken down after years of eating uh, processed food, which we all were exposed to, whether we like it or not. Thank you for listening. You can read more about how to reboot your digestion also on my website at lifespa.com. There's over 700 articles and videos there for you to read about, about many health topics, proving ancient wisdom with modern science. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Welcome back, Action Tribe. So firstly, how did you like the experience? Did your perspective change? 
Did you learn something new? Do you have someone else who might benefit from this session? Let me know your thoughts by sending me an email to aj at my7chakras.com. That's aj at my7chakras.com. As Dr. Duyard mentioned on air, since you've taken the time to listen to this session, you get a free gift. You get access to the first two chapters of his new book, Eat Wheat. To get your link, visit the website gurukul.com forward slash four yes. So that's G. Double O R U K U L dot com four as in the four digit yes. Once again, that's gurukul.com forward slash four yes. Once you do, add your email address, you'll receive a link that will take you straight to the page where you can download the preview chapters. Also, as I always mentioned, Dr. Duyard has shared a ton of information on this episode science, research, and ancient wisdom. So if you have some time, make sure you listen to this episode once again so that you're able to internalize all this amazing knowledge and wisdom. And finally, as you know very well, our mission is not only learning new skills, new ideas and practices, but also taking action because knowledge is only potential power. Action changes everything. So take massive action towards your goals, ask questions, do some further research. And until next time, keep taking action, keep moving forward and keep finding new ways to kickstart your human revolution.